It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day and welcome, listeners, to The Two Jacks, episode 39, being recorded on the 8th of the 8th, 2023, the morning of. And joining me, as usual, is Hong Kong Jack. G'day, mate. How are you? Good. Good. Excellent. Uh, that's the way. That's the way. Now, we're going to kick off with the... I don't know what we call this anymore, Jack. It's just so messy. Is it the, do we call it the Sofronoff inquiry? Do we call it the Drumgold affair? Uh, I just don't know. But it relates, of course, to the ACT's uh, chief prosecutor until yesterday or until late last week uh, <coughs> and uh, his uh, perceived failures um, uh, <coughs> in a report he more or less... <laughs> He more or less kicked off the investigation. Well, uh, well it certainly wouldn't have happened without um, his furious letter, um, uh, um, which he sent at the end of, after he abandoned the trial um, of Bruce Lerman. Yes, yeah, so um, this is the, the, just, the so, just, just so our listeners are on board. This is in regard to the attempt to prosecute uh, Bruce Lerman over the alleged rape of Brittany Higgins. Uh, and that trial, of course, came, um, uh, well, well, basically fell apart when a juror misconducted himself, I believe. Uh, and, uh, and, and afterwards, uh, Drumgold indicated that on be, uh, taking uh, Higgins' health into consideration, no retrial would take place. And then afterwards, he made allegations that the police, uh, ACT police, uh, had, um, had, um, Failed to show uh, real prosecutorial intent, Jack. Is that fair? That's probably fair. He 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 abandoned the trial on the morning on which the Chief Justice Lucy McCallum uh, was going to um, make public an application that the defence had made, and we don't know what the content of that was, and we probably never will. Right. Um, uh, but what's I, your be- I, what's your best guess? Uh, It'll be a. Break, uh, it'd be a no bill, wouldn't it? And it'd be a no, be a no bill, bill request. Exactly. Um, and, and they would have had reasons why they were uh, asking for that. Um, and we'll never know that. And on that very morning or the night before, he notified the Chief Justice that he would be abandoning the trial. Um, and after he abandoned the trial, he wrote a furious letter to um, the Attorney General, etc., etc., um, uh, complaining about police conduct and um, what he saw as political interference. Political interference, uh, yes. From, from um, Ministers of the Crown. Um, and the ACT government seemed happy enough to go along with the idea of an inquiry, although I don't think they would have initiated this without his furious letter. And that, in turn, led to uh, appointing uh, um, uh, Justice Sofronoff uh, to, uh, to conduct an inquiry where it was found Drum gold. Has he has he done a Jack Elliott 
call for the inquiry um, and then got knocked off by it. I see someone on Twitter described it as the greatest legal act of self-harm since Oscar Wilde sued um, uh, the Marquess of Queensbury um, for defamation. Um, you might remember that. Uh, poor Oscar, the, the defamation trial didn't go all that well and he was in fact charged with uh, offences relating to homosexuality, I think we'd put them. That's right, um, and ended up in the jug. Ended up in Reading Jail writing a, um, writing a letter about it. Um, uh, but um, uh, yeah, well, the, the, the course inquiry. of the inquiry ex- ex- exposed that he had behaved unethically, and that indeed was the the finding of Justice yeah. Sofronov. More specifically, they found that Sofronov found that he had lost objectivity, um, that he had, in, in the in the opinion of Justice Sofronov, had lied to the Chief Justice. Um, and he had failed to disclose material, relevant material to the defence. Yes. Uh, he failed to advise Lisa Wilkinson um, a- against making the speech she made at the Logies, although she, he did note and correctly say that um, she worked for an organisation that had plenty of lawyers working for him and they should have told her the same thing. Um, mm. and, that, and that his presser, his press conference after the trial was abandoned was um, a, a poor piece of judgment um, because he, um, he he when he came out and made the press conference he was uh, he sounded like an advocate for Brittany Higgins rather than a, a, a deputy public a director of public prosecutions abandoning a trial right so where are we now the report was Sofronoff inquiry report was uh, leaked to the Australian. Uh, I'm told uh, it, <laughs> it appeared in the hands of journalists at the Australian uh, before uh, the the Commissioner of Police, uh, etc. Is that is that where we're going now? Uh, well, it, it seems to be filling the, the the newspapers and the media now that they they're all in on talking about how the leak happened and how terrible that was. Um, I think because they don't want to address the substance of the report. Okay. So that's that's exactly how I feel about it too. Um, if uh, things fall off the back of uh, trucks and trailers uh, and end up in the hands of journalists, uh, well, that's just uh, probably uh, leads to greater accountability in the end. Um, but... Um, uh, what are what are those issues, Jack? What are those issues arising? And when we, when we talk about a prosecutor, um, um, the basically chief prosecutor in the in the ACT, what broader consequences does this have for um, uh, for uh, the judicial system around the country? When you've got prosecutors who are found to have been um, uh, well misconducting themselves and be, behaving unethically. The, the first thing it does is it leads to a, um, a, a great outbreak of hope on the, on the part of those who've been convicted um, uh, by the same prosecution, uh, uh, arising out of prosecutions brought by the same person, yes. that they may be able to reopen their cases and, and, and get Well, that's lawyer, that's lawyer X writ large, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's, that, that's, In Victoria. <coughs> but, the AC, um, the ACT, but, uh, ACT yeah. government says that they've had a look at that and that's not the case. Right. Um, but there's a, a bit of uh, um, Mandy Rice Davies about that. Um, he, he would say that, wouldn't he? You know, yeah. and, uh, it's um, a pretty it's a pretty difficult thing to do, having yeah. to review. I, 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 there is a number attached to it, the number of prosecutions uh, which uh, uh, Drum Gold has been associated with, uh, yeah. and they ha- and they have been internally reviewed. But yeah. what broader implications does it have on the back of Lawyer X too, Jack? About about uh, um, 
prosecutors becoming um, uh, uh, biased and, and losing their objectivity. Well, I, I think it's broader than just Lawyer X and uh, and the Lerman case. I would throw in, uh, as a recent example, the Cardinal Pell prosecution um, uh, and say this, that it's perhaps time that we had a look at the Office of the Director of Public Prosecution. It only dates back 20 or 30 years, like in the early 80s. Um, it started in Australia. It was a, an import from the United Kingdom. Yes. Um, uh, and it... The, the idea of it was to take uh, the um, decision to prosecute and the conduct of prosecution out of the hands of the Attorneys General's Department, where it was generally run by someone called the, um, the Crown Counsel. Right, um, Crown Prosecutor, yes. Crown Prosecutor or Crown Counsel, depending on which state you're in, um, and, and put it in the hands of a sort of semi-independent Figure um, and who operate in secrecy, Jack, and there, and there's yeah. good reasons for that, aren't there? I mean, yeah. you know, and, and the system generally works very well, I think, um, but uh, but it's perhaps after the thirty or forty years, whatever it is, um, it might be time to have a look at that again. I think what we what we have in Lawyer X, as opposed to shall we say, you know, the sovereign off matter, is that is that we've got. One shows perhaps at least a perceived closeness with senior police, and that's the case of the lawyer X. While it would seem to be a breakdown of a relationship in the ACT. Yeah, and in the Cardinal Pell case, um, uh, the police were very keen um, uh, to prosecute. Um, their brief was sent back by the director of public prosecutions twice. With a, you know, this is not good enough. Um, uh, to take to trial, uh, and they persisted until they found uh, had a new director of public prosecutions who agreed with them enough to take the thing to trial. Yeah, look, there's a number of things that occurred there, of course, as we know now, that one of the victims, alleged victims, I should say, in, in regard to Pell, uh, he uh, withdrew. Um, he withdrew before, and so that prosecution fell over. Um, he alleged that he was... Um, indecently dealt with in a shower at the Presbytery, the Ballarat Presbytery, I believe. Uh, and and he uh, had brought that, well, those, those charges were brought and then he de decided basically the day before the trial was to commence. It might have even been on the day the trial was due to commence that he was going to mm. withdraw. Yeah, there's anyway. a, there was a... Even from up here in Hong Kong, um, I was aware that there was considerable considerable part of the legal profession in Melbourne um, who thought that the case was very weak. The whole case against Capel was very weak. Um, and I'm not talking about Catholic lawyers. This is across the board. Um, uh, and you, you get this from time to time. You get a difference of opinion between police and, and the DPP as to whether or not a case should proceed. And that's no bad thing in itself. I just think that relationship um, perhaps is worth looking at again yeah. after 40 years of, uh, of, of, of running these offices. Yeah, look, I can, I, I can, I can certainly agree with you on that. I think it, it, it is something that occurs in the shadows, and and there, there is certainly a need for a lot of secrecy in terms of, in terms of uh, evidence, and and in terms of what can be prosecuted and can't be. But there, there are two fundamental failures here that we're looking at. I'd certainly say lawyer X, the fact that no one will now be charged over a. 
could easily be described as a, a as a conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. And now we've got Drumgold possibly facing those charges. What happens with him now, Jack? He's, he's resigned. His position was untenable. What happens with him now? Yeah, well, he went on leave um, uh, immediately after having given evidence um, to the inquiry, and, and 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 personally, I thought his career was pretty much over right about his career was the DP. I did see it was him over about the, then. The uh, I think the Oz papped him, Jack, out the front of his house, having uh, having an ale, having a having a having yeah. a tin. Yeah, I think he was having a tin with his son while his son was working on a car in the driveway. Like that. Yeah. Um, uh, but I thought his career as DPP was pretty much over then. Um, uh, there's a bit of excitability around about whether he'd be prosecuted and sent to jail for all this, but um, uh, firstly, the not all the evidence that got before Sofranoff would be available in a trial um, right. for per- perverting the course of justice. Um, um, it's been bandied around, um, and, um, and there's a different standard of proof as well. So um, the chance of him being firstly prosecuted and secondly um, uh, being convicted I think is pretty slim. But it does beg the question, Jack, who's going to make this decision? Um, I, I think it'll be the Attorney General in the end. There, there is a Deputy DPP operating now, but um, effectively I think it will be the Attorney General, Shane Rattenbury, is that his name? Um, I believe so. Yeah. Um, uh, He's been uh, very quiet of late, Jack. And very, very sensibly very sensibly so. I think he, he needs to keep his head down because he's going to have a role to play in the way this pans out and he can't afford to um, give the appearance that he has biased one way or the other. I did see, um, I did see an interview with uh, uh, the Chief... Uh, 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 Chief Minister in the ACT, Andrew Barr. He's, he's, he's the mayor, is he? He's uh, the mayor of, <laughs> the, mayor of the local council. There was a piece. Uh, there was a piece in the Australian from uh, uh, Jeff Chambers, who's uh, uh, in the uh, in, in the parliamentary office for the Australian. He lives in Canberra, of course, and he. Uh, Gave him a nice old spray today, um, 40 kilometres, the sorts of things we were criticising the man for uh, last week, Jack, 40 kilometre speed zones in the CBD with three lanes of traffic, or well, six, six, uh, one way or the other. Um, it's just nutty stuff. Uh, but um, um, uh, wh- where does this leave, where does this leave uh, Bruce Lehman? Does, it, does that, that mean he's got basically carte blanche, carte blanche um, claim? Uh, Bruce Lerman has uh, issued a statement saying that he'd instructed his solicitors to draw up a statement of claim against the ACT, um, presumably against the ACT and and Shane Drumgold. The DPP has a, has a degree of um, uh, of protection in the law against being sued, but it's limited. Um, and if the if the findings of the Sofranoff inquiry stood up in court, um, uh, the ACT government would be liable for. Um, considerable damages to Bruce Lerman. And what about some if, of the other players? If, if you're a litigation lawyer, you'd be pretty damn pleased to see Bruce Lerman, <laughs> Lerman waiting in your waiting room um, as you walked in the office in the morning. Yeah? Uh, yes, I imagine so. Um, where does this leave? Uh, we'll get to Britain Higgins in a moment. But where does this leave um, uh, former Defence Minister Linda Reynolds, Jack? Uh, well, 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 the, the report's pretty kind to her, and I think that's – and from the evidence I, at the inquiry, and I kind of followed that reasonably closely, 
um, uh, I thought they went okay, um, uh, Reynolds and Cash. I thought that you know, you'd always say, well, look, if we had our time over again, we might have handled it a little bit better. But they got the basics right. Um, uh, and I don't, I don't think there's any um, credible suggestion of, of, of her playing, of either of them playing politics with this or interfering in the trial. Okay, and finally, Jack, Brittany Higgins. I mean, this is um, this has justice gone horribly wrong, regardless of uh, regardless of anyone's opinion on um, guilt and innocence. This is just justice gone horribly wrong, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I don't have an opinion at all on the uh, on the on, on what happened that night in Parliament. Um, Safe to say that I've read the accounts of both Brittany Higgins and and Bruce Lerman and didn't find either of them all that compelling, to be quite honest. Right. Um, uh, but my view <coughs> is that Brittany Higgins has been done a disservice by those around her <coughs> who should have dissuaded her from pursuing the case in the way that she did. Um, uh, if you if you bung on a political and media blue, um, it's a bit like uh, being the captain telling um, uh, uh, the fast bowler to put them up, you know, put a few short ones in and put them up. And you have to understand that that the other You're side... You're going to have to have a bat soon. You're you going to have, have to bat you, yourself. You're going to have to bat yourself and it will be coming back. And if you bung on a political and media blue in Australia, um, the game is, is played very hard indeed, and you're going to have to expect that a bit will come back your way. And she's been subjected to um, some fairly harsh treatment by leaking of um, text messages, etc., etc. But that's the cost you pay when you play in that game. Isn't that the lesson, though, Jack? Um, <coughs> for 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 all concerned here, that this was played out in the public forum. Yep rather than in the criminal justice forum. Yes. I mean, you, you, you would argue now, I would I should certainly argue now what we know now, that uh, putting it in the, criminal, in the hands of the criminal justice system was far from perfect. Uh, uh, yes. But that's kind of the way it would normally be. But um, the involvement of media in this, uh, I think, was quite disgraceful early on before, but certainly before a, a, a formal interview was granted. Um, and those people, what should their advice have been, Jack? And we'll talk about a couple of them, Lisa Wilkinson, uh, her husband, Peter, Fitz, Peter Fitzsimmons. Um, uh, what should they have advised Brittany Higgins in the first instance? It, would, it shouldn't have been go and talk to the police. Yes, yeah. and, and yeah, when it became clear that what she wanted to do was run a media campaign, they should have said, don't do this um, because you, are, you will get hurt. Yeah, I think that's a lesson for me too. I mean, um, I know what journalists are like, Jack, and if they think they've got a hot, red-hot story, yep. they, want to Im- they want to hold it close to their breast and uh, and and they don't want it getting out, um, and so w- that business that I and, and look, I've spoken to a number of people over the journey, um, particularly those people around child sexual assault matters, and my my view is always look, um, uh, the story comes second, and really what you should be doing is considering going to police and making a report. You know it, it, where that where it had where that has not occurred. Going to police, I'll, I'll often tell them they're better now than they used to be. Uh, they won't brush you, um, and uh, uh, hopefully won't brush you because I know so many who've 
been dealt with pretty poorly by police over the journey. But that's the, that's the answer. You've got to get it into the criminal justice system as imperfect as it is and let the chips fall where they may. Yes, I agree. It's better than it was. It's not perfect by any means, I don't think. No, it's but it's certainly perfect. Better, it's certainly better than it was. Um, and the idea that you can um, put a story into the media and control how that operates is just fantasy land. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah. Um, it's it's yeah. far too competitive and tough a business for that. I noticed eminent jurist. I think we can call Richard Ackland an eminent jurist, can't we, Jack? <laughs> I think we probably can. He's, he's been around he's, for a long time anyway. He's, he's jumped into this. Um, yeah, uh, what's he had to say? Uh, he says the agenda at play is, is a dizzying cocktail involving reheated remnants of the cultural wars with animus, animus towards the complainant in the case, Brittany Higgins, and the Me Too movement and complaints about the use of victim-centric language. He does like a florid sentence, does he? Doesn't he, Richard? That's a long one. That is yeah. a long one. I only got the one. Com- I only got the one comma in there too. Yeah. Well done, Richard. Uh, well, I, I had a bit of a look at um, at, uh, at Twitter um, uh, in the last day or so, and um, they're all lining up on on each side now. Um, on the Shane Drumgold side, we've got uh, Wendy Bacon. Um, and Quentin, Quentin Dempster, um, uh, they're all lining up. And I saw on this morning's Pearls and Irritations, Jack Waterford's pretty much in the drum gold campus world. So. Yeah, they used to be journalists who liked to break stories, Jack. Now they're, now they're looking after the bloke who was into a bit of a cover-up. Yeah. yeah strange, yeah. strange yeah. position. Now they've suddenly discovered that leaks are not a good thing. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And most of them would have been publishing leaked material, made their careers out of it. How odd. Uh, now, Jack, very, very sad, tragic story uh, in, in Leangatha and Currumburra, two towns in Gippsland, southern Gippsland, actually, uh, uh, part of the world you know, but just you, you were raised as a country boy, weren't you? And and, and one, of the, one of the lessons you learn as a country boy is... Uh, pay attention! Pay attention for snakes and don't eat the mushrooms. Well, no, we ate plenty of the mushrooms, um, but you turned them over and had to look at them to make sure they were mushrooms. Got to be brown, uns- uh, brown upside yeah. down, don't they? I, yeah. I still, I still wouldn't eat field mushrooms, I, and um, I have gone picking them, but I never, never have a bar of them. Yeah, uh, no, I love the, the, the fresh field mushrooms; absolutely gorgeous. Um, uh, a great eat. Um, and we were probably n- not adventurous enough. I mean, some of our mig- some of the migrant people I know, new Australians I know, um, were much more adventurous in going up into the pine forests and stuff around Ballarat and finding um, our psilocybin of, mushrooms, uh, Jack. Yeah, uh, or, or finding our equivalent of um, of uh, porcini mushrooms, etc. Um, uh, so, um, but. No, people, 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 people ate a lot of field mushrooms, but they were generally careful to make sure they were mushrooms. I think there's, there's, there's you know, there's a great deal of concern. I mean, this this is a very, very awful situation where we've now got three elderly people dead, uh, very prominent in their community in Currumburra. Um, I know that uh, your father and mother, Jack, lived down that way for a long time, ran uh, Lee and Gatha and uh, I think Meanian they were living in and... Um, <laughs> for a fair they, time, they, so this they, is around that part of the world. They moved there when I was at boarding school, but they did tell me, so I didn't go back home to the wrong place. <laughs> no, that's that's nice. So we got a very very tragic situation. So where the host of a lunch 
uh, of a luncheon on July 29. I'm very proud to say that the Australian was the first with this story. Um, uh, <coughs> uh, paid host to uh, four people and and had her own two children present. So there were seven uh, seven people present there, and from what we can determine, and I don't want to go too far with this, uh, it, it, the 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 host of the lunch, Aaron Paterson, who's forty eight years of age, did not fall ill, and it would seem to me is unlikely to have consumed the same food that the four adults did. The two kids were fed something else, we believe. Uh, all seven. Uh, were hospitalised and examined, but of course the four fell ill. This is where we first came to the story that there were four people so ill that they require liver transplants, and then one died on the 4th of August, followed by another on the same day. And that's when the police got involved. They weren't really involved before uh, that, and they made some odd statements that weren't quite correct initially about who, how many people were at this lunch and uh, uh, they got their numbers a bit wrong and uh, and we came back to them with what we thought were our numbers. But um, um, it's left three people dead, um, uh, in, including uh, uh, <coughs> including Aaron Patterson's uh, in-laws, Gail and Don Patterson, both uh, in their in their elderly stage of their lives, and Heather Wilkinson, all from Currumbah, they're all now deceased, and the fourth victim, Ian Wilkinson, is in a critical condition in hospital awaiting a liver transplant. In fact, all four had liver failure and would have required liver transplants, but um, had they survived the poisoning, but the three obviously didn't. Jack, you know, we've got an evolving story here but I just want to ask you about possible charges. Um, uh, if this was accidental, but um, uh, the the woman involved had been negligent, uh, is she likely to be charged with any criminal offences? Um, they're difficult things to prove. These things, um, you know, murder of course requires an intent to to kill or cause grievous bodily harm. Uh, uh, and manslaughter, um, it's enough if there's uh, evidence that a person was recklessly indifferent to, to whether they caused um, the same sort of harm or was negligent. Um, but they're not easy cases by any means. And, oh, and, 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 and I, I, don't, I don't know anywhere near enough about this case to have a view about it. But I, I just wondered if, let's say, there had been previous events where people had, been, had fallen ill from food prepared by this woman, and I am simply speculating, Jack. Would that would that change matters at all? It could. Um, there's a there's a concept called similar fact evidence, um, uh, which can be used. But I, I must confess that uh, I'm a little rusty on uh, on the state of the law and in, uh, in that particular that particular area. All right. Well, we'll move on from that. Just a very, very, uh, very strange, curious case, but a, but an awful tragedy for a small community. I think uh, uh, all five of the adults were linked to the Baptist Church in Leangatha, uh, and in fact, I think um, uh, one of one them of them was a, a retired pastor. I think is that a, right? Is a, is a pastor, and apparently. Um, uh, all the stories are that they were wonderful contributors to community, 
uh, I believe Heather Wilkinson used to conduct little uh, commemoration ceremonies at um, um, uh, at uh, uh, re- retirement uh, and nursing homes when uh, when people passed away there, and they seem to be sort of salts of the earth types, Jack. It, it is that sort of community. It's a um, uh, a reasonably conservative and, and fairly religious community down there. Yeah. Okay. It's a tragic case. And we'll have more on it as it evolves. Um, the Voice, Jack. We now have a date, October 14, for the referendum. Yep. Uh, well, we talked two weeks past uh, footy, the uh, footy season ending, and uh, that's Rugby League and uh, AFL. No clashes there, and I think it'll be a week after the. Uh, I think it's a Labor Day holiday in New South Wales, so no clashes there too. So that's kind of an anticipated date there. The polling's not looking good, Jack. News poll published um, uh, published yesterday, showing a dip below fifty in Victoria, I believe, uh, and losing in Tasmania, South Australia, Western Australia, and Queensland, uh, and that reflects. Pretty much where the polling is going. Um, uh, the, the most interesting part of the polling that I saw was a, a poll done by Redbridge, only a thousand people, but Redbridge, um, the, the, Cos Samaris, I think, is a director there, who's also the head of the John Curtin Institute. So um, uh, Redbridge found that after hearing the yes and no cases, one in four, 25% of those people who had been leaning towards a yes vote. Switch to no. 59.41. Yeah. Um, so that's... God only knows that's, what that's, that's, I mean, that's look, That's a would, bad situation for you. Yeah, you would think the John Curtin Research Centre are, are, are not going to sort of uh, uh, give them inflammatory sort of information that no, would turn no. their minds. But, but, but the key thing is once they were told, shown what the cases were, a quarter of the people leaning towards yes, once they knew what it was about, said, we're, we're going to vote no. That's pretty damning. Now, um, uh, Chris Kenny, uh, Chris, is, Chris was on the uh, uh, Reconciliation Council uh, government appointment yep. uh, about four or five years ago, uh, and he's been absolutely rock solid on The Voice, um, and it's a credit to him, to be honest. Uh, he's copped a lot of flack, some from his op-ed colleagues, uh, he shouldn't react to that too much because it's just going to happen. Um, but um, he's been absolutely rock solid. And he's got up on Sky News pretty much every night and said, this is this is why it's important. And, and he's an advocate for it. It's uh, a little bit unusual, isn't it, Jack? I mean, uh, the, so, the so-called sky after dark uh, nonsense, um, you know, the... the, the the, the rhetoric there, um, uh, but here we've got uh, a proponent of the voice who's been given a platform, but where's the platform elsewhere in the media, Jack? Yeah, on Twitter someone asked this question, this very question. They said, you know, he's he's an hour, an hour a day, um, every day, every week on Sky um, uh, saying yes vote. Where is the equivalent on the ABC advocating for the no vote? doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's get into the politics of it, Jack, because it's getting very messy. Uh, and uh, we had uh, the words, I came across the words of a uh, anonymous Liberal MP who said, we need to do over the voice if we are going to have a chance at the next election. 
I think this was, um, who's the chap who was the journo who was now a professor at the ANU? Is it Mark Kenny? Um, uh, oh, that's Chris's brother, yeah. Yeah, yeah, who came up, came up with, um, with uh, who, who um, wrote a piece in the AFR, I think, that, that exposed this tweet from inside the party room. Um, I don't think the, the party politics is going to determine this referendum at all. I think it's going to fail for, for reasons that are to do with its design and what's in the case. Um, but, uh, but there will be some politics playing out around it and after it, that's for sure. Well, one thing this teaches us, if, you know, if, if this quote is correct, you know, doing over the voice is basically, and we know the major parties will do this from time to time, but the Liberal Party stands alone as the one that says, oh, well, if it comes to the national interest or our party's interests, we know which is going to come first. Well, I think they're all equally um, uh, inclined to, 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 to look at their own, their own well, they're, party they're, interests. They're, they're looking at something that is... Um, uh, potentially um, um, uh, going to create national unity and say, no, we would prefer not prefer that not happen, but but because it will give us a better a better swipe at the next federal election, I think that's pretty awful. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm reminded of um, uh, the great saying, I think it's attributed to Neville Rand, um, uh, if, you, if you're watching politics, always bet on the horse called self-interest because at least you know it's trying. Yeah, indeed. No, that's Jack Lang, mate. Jack Lang, was it? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, yeah. And, and I think that applies across the board. Um, I think there has been some politics played on both part, both sides about this, but I don't think that's going to be relevant to who win, whether the, the referendum succeeds, but there will be some politics played afterwards. Well, reporting the Australian again today, I know we're very Australian heavy today, but uh, that's just the way it is. Uh, there's a report there that the no campaign fears a late surge uh, in the in the yes vote. Uh, and I'll just read br- briefly. Senior no campaigners have warned of complacency, fears that 20 to 30% of voters will remain undecided on the voice until polls open and a cooling in fundraising and volunteer support according to a leaked memo, memo sent to Australians for Unity. That's one of those no groups. Um, and uh, so there's a bit of concern that uh, things will, uh, that things may sort of disappear, you know, things that may turn around. Uh, and uh, also in that report, is it says, in a coup for Anthony Albanese and Yes 23 campaigners, WA Premier Roger Cook is expected to make major amendments to controversial Aboriginal cultural heritage laws that have sparked confusion and pushback from farmers, landholders and environmental groups. We might remember, Jack, that WA was very, very pro-yes and then it became very, very pro-no. And one of those issues is the the Aboriginal cultural heritage laws sparked by the the mining company Santos, wasn't it, who uh, blew up a, um, uh, a sacred... Uh, an Aboriginal sacred site, um, and uh, and and then they've had this. Uh, then they've had this legislation um, uh, out in the community discussion, which has caused a fair amount of angst among farmers and uh, big land big landholders, and generally in the community. Um, it looks. It, it certainly seems as though it was a clumsy um, uh, response to the Santos situation. Yeah. 
the report goes on to read, uh, the Australian understands the WA Labor government was told by senior ALP, ALP figures that its contentious three-tiered system imposing cultural assessments for ground excavation on properties exceeding 1,100 square metres was damaging the Yes campaign. So the uh, Labor the senior Labor Party figures, and they would be parliamentary figures, I'd suggest, Jack. That might be Anthony Albanese and others, possibly the Indigenous Affairs Minister as well, uh, Ms. Bernie. Uh, they would have gone on the blower and said, "Fix it, your yeah. provincial, your provincial hicks, get it done." And uh, the, um, uh, the Redbridge Group, um, their comment on the Voice was that it was almost unsalvageable, um, I'd go, go a little bit harder than that. I think it is unsalvageable. Every day that goes past, <clears throat> there is less certainty about what voting yes means um, mm. every day. Um, I turn on the television, um, there is more confusion rather than less confusion as to what the consequences of voting yes will be, and that's fatal in a referendum in Australia. Can we just talk about We spent the last two weeks, in the media at least, worrying about Treaty Jack, and it had that ring of Mabo about it, actually. I mean, this country did land reform, and that was it, you know. It was Mabo, it was Native Title Act. And... Um, and so it just seemed to me that we got bogged down and then Albo was wearing a T-shirt that said treaty and all these sorts of things. And then uh, the Indigenous Affairs spokesman, um, uh, who's terrific, I think, but um, really lacks a lot of political, political um, shall we say, she's a lot, she lacks a lot of head-kicking abilities. Um, she didn't clarify, and really, it's just—I just find it very, very difficult to understand why they are not being very clear with their messaging. Yeah, as, as I say, um, the history of Australia is that uncertainty about the uh, referendum proposal is fatal. Look, I just uh, spoke uh, last week to a person, one of the few people who's been prepared to get out and debate publicly uh, for the yes uh, proposition. And uh, we had a brief chat last week, uh, and I said, "How do you think it's going?" He goes, "Mate, we're cooked. We're cooked." Mm. Um, meanwhile, they're being uh, the no votes being helped along by people like N Mike Carlton. I, I know you're not allowed to read his tweets. Um, oh, is anyone listening to Mike Carlton? Uh, uh, I, I hope not. If you're a yes voter, because he sort of divides the the no the no voters into four camps: Duttonisters, Racewits, Racists. The jealous and bitter, kicking down and f-wits, um, and, and I think if you're trying to persuade people to change no. their mind, that's not the way to go about. Well, start by calling you a fuckwit and say you can be less of a fuckwit if you do as I say. Yes, that's, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, look, a winning, it's a winning argument every time, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, look, it's, it's probably, and when we talk about the politics, what we're seeing is certainly the conservative right going all the way out to the far right, plus the far left. The far left are not, uh, uh, if we want to sort of see that represented in um, uh, the uh, the independent senator, uh, former Green uh, member, Lydia Thorpe. Lydia Thorpe, yeah. Um, so, so there is this strange horseshoe sort of uh, stuff going on with the politics of The Voice, Jack. 
Yeah, if you, if you look at the demographics of the people who are voting, no, it's yeah, it's, um, thing, yeah. it's it's far more the people in the middle, really. It's the people in the outer suburbs and regions and all that sort of stuff. The people who we normally consider the middle, the centre ground, um, they're the people who are um, who are most heavily saying no, um, and that's because the government talked to ten percent of the population about how they should go about this and left the other ninety percent out of the conversation. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on the voice. We'll be talking about it every week. Um, until and, October 15th. Uh, we know. Till, till the, well, we'll be talking a bit after the right after that, October, right, yeah. I think, too. I mean, I mean if, the, if, the, if, the, if, the, if the political advisors are, you know, they should be wargaming how we're going to deal with the result now, you know, how we're going to come out and get on the front oh, foot. Oh, I'm sure they are. Yeah. I'm sure they are. All right, over to the United States, Jack, and the Trumpsters got, uh, uh, I think I was saying it once, twice, three times indicted and probably a fourth to come. But uh, this one's probably the most serious of them all, Jack. Uh, it relates to not just January 6th, but uh, the events leading up to January 6th uh, from the night of November three. Uh, when the result of the election at this at that stage is not known. Now, it has been anecdotally expressed, Jack, that uh, Trump walked around. I, I can't think of the name of the room, but there were a 100-odd people, well-wishers there, including family and what have you, and, and Trump walked around the room and said, what do I say, what do I say? Because there was no clear winner at this stage. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, and, if, and if, no one, if I remember rightly, he had looked the winner early in the um, uh, in the evening, um, and then it uh, had- uh, yeah, only because a certain number of states, uh, a certain number of states. In fact, um, uh, the the GOP had gone to uh, to the courts in many of these states to count the in person uh, yes. on the day vote first. So, so, so we were the, seeing so a lot on, of on that. the early returns. He was looking really good, but that had by by the time he walked around this room by, the, by late in the evening, that had turned around. Yeah, he was getting apparently mixed messages. Uh, this comes from um, um, Haberman, the New York Times, New York Times journalist, and 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 then apparently he got to Rudy Giuliani and and he said, "What do I do?" And Giuliani just said, "Just say you won," and that was the start of it. And and we, we, I actually wrote about this on Friday that speech, where he basically started off in a reasonable sort of position. We're going well in Texas. We've won Texas. We've won Ohio. We've won Florida, and of course they had. Uh, and then he moved on. Oh well, we're going to win in Georgia. Uh, all this sort of stuff. And then and then he just goes, "Well, we have one. We have one." And I think that was the genesis of it all. That's not. That's not something that's indictable. I think a lot of people are getting a little bit confused that we have to determine Trump's state of mind uh, on or after November 3, between November 3 and January 20, when he left office, or he left office earlier than that, but when he officially uh, was no longer the President of the United States. Um, But that seems to be a bit of nonsense, Jack. Uh, They've really just got to, they've just really got to prove intent. Um, there's been a lot written uh, in the American press about the, the way the, this case will pan out legally, uh, and I've read most of it, I think, um, and I, I must <laughs> confess that I don't have a great deal of confidence in any of the theories so far, that they are, there, are, there are conflicting views, many conflicting views as to how this will pan out, and I don't think it's entirely clear. Um, Bill Barr, the former Attorney General, he thinks it's relatively clear. 
um, uh, and 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 will run fairly smoothly. But there's plenty of people who don't, don't agree with that, and there are plenty of varying reasons why they don't think it will go all that well. In any event, um, given that 92% of the District of District of Columbia, where the trial will be held, voted for Joe Biden, um, um, I would think a conviction, at least at primary level, is quite probable. <laughs> Very likely, which leads us on to I mean, Trump. I mean, a majority of Republicans in in the District of Columbia, Washington DC, um, uh, don't approve of Trump or, 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 or didn't yeah. vote for him. So, yeah. um, so the, the chances of finding um, twelve. You know, twelve jurors uh, who are going to give him a good a and war. true, yeah, um, um, a pretty slim. Um, the question then will be, um, it, it, when it goes to appeal, what happens then? Uh, well, there there will be an effort, I imagine, from his uh, defence to have the trial locate, relocated. Yeah. Um, it's one of the reasons why the prosecution in regard to the confidential and secret documents matter. Another indictment, another federal indictment, uh, is being heard in Miami. So one would, one would imagine the numbers almost flip there. Um, uh, no, no, they're, they're, they're not, about 50-50, yeah. No, not about 50, 50, no. yeah. Yeah. I think I think the Dems still managed to win Dade County in 2020. I may be wrong, um, but um, uh, yeah, no, the the only Republican who's won Dade County recently was Ron DeSantis. But yeah, so yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> um, so um, uh, if you're if you're the if you're the Trumpster's lawyer, you got a job ahead of you, basically, because he gets on the um, he gets on. Well, it's not Twitter. He uses the Truth Socials. He got on there yesterday. Uh, that he would be immediately asking for recusal of U.S. District Court Judge Tanya Chutkin. Uh, that was in his messaging. And then his attorneys come back and said, look, uh, uh, the Trump is speaking with a, and this is a quote, layman's political sense mm. and was reacting primarily because Chutkin was nominated to the bench by a Democrat. She was actually confirmed 95-0 in the Senate in 2014 after being nominated by Barack Obama. Um uh, it would be very difficult being the Trumpster's lawyer. Uh, in fact, uh, Laura was was appeared on a podcast and and he dealt with all of that sort of say. Oh no, look, look, I think you find that many of us as lawyers have difficulties uh, uh, in different <laughs> in having different messages from uh, from those of our clients. So that's going to Any, anybody who's practiced law will tell you that happens. Yeah, but he's just fired up. You know, I mean, he must be. In, in the back of his mind, he must be terrified that he's going to end up in, in doing some bird, doing some time. Um, but, of course, the system, and we'll have a brief chat about this, the, <laughs> the founding fathers uh, had known Washington, Jefferson, um, uh, Adam Smith, etc., um, uh, were, were probably did, weren't thinking that you'd have uh, someone like Donald Trump come along. And so he could be... Um, cert certainly will be un under indictment throughout the primary process and uh, and he may actually be under conviction while being uh, a, a Republican candidate for the presidency. There's indeed. nothing stopping that. Indeed. And, and because of the three or four indictments or groups of indictments, um, uh, he's well and truly back in the race. Yeah, I, I just don't know how this is going to work. I did look at some polling. I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but when we started looking at Midwest states, you know, state, you know, I did actually, but but when we started looking, at, I saw some polling in Michigan where Trump was a mile behind. 
Um, and and look, one thing I'll say about these indictments, I mean, people can talk about them being politicised and all that sort of stuff. After Trump's conduct from November 3, from between November 3, 2020 to January 20, 2021, um, I think the American people deserve to know what happened there. Uh, and, and that means a public trial uh, with, uh, you know, plenty of media coverage as, as to what happens in that, in that, in that courtroom. Not yeah, sure if it'll be um, televised or not, but um, um, but if not, uh, it'll be properly reported. And people need to know this because he's still going around. People still do believe that he's, you know, that he won the presidency. Yeah, um, uh, my view has dealt him right back into the into the contest. I thought he would have been fading away by now because he was talking about the last election all the time, and people weren't all that interested. Um, but the indictments have brought him back into the game. The most recent poll I saw was a, uh, of a swing state, was Pennsylvania, um, uh, and he's actually in front of Biden in Pennsylvania, which is quite surprising. I think when you start getting into those Midwest values, Jack, uh, I mean, and, and the thing that's going to hurt him is, particularly in this matter, this indictment, is basically the way he conducted himself. Now, whether he's found guilty or not, that's another matter. But I think this really is something that the American people need to see. Well, there are two things about it. The court case will proceed on a legal basis and all that sort of stuff. There's the politics of it as well. And my reading of the politics of it is this gives him, these four indictments give him a real chance of becoming the next president. Well, when we look at one it's, of these, it's a dreadful, a dreadful miscalculation on the part of the. Um, well, that's the, that's suggesting that that is suggesting politicised indictments, and and I, I, I'm not, certainly not going down that path. Well, um, uh, the 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 four indictments couldn't proceed um, uh, without the support of uh, of the of the Democrat Party and the current president. Um, yeah. Um, None of the well, certainly the the most recent indictment. There's a fourth one coming. It'll probably come out in August, and that's from Fulton County, Georgia. It's likely to be not likely, but it's possible that it will be a RICO-style indictment uh, on the basis of various things: computer fraud, uh, com- computer crimes, fraud, um, <coughs> uh, obstruction of justice. Uh, in Atlanta's, uh, sorry, Georgia's uh, RICO laws, um, two or more of those offences committed over four years will can bring a, a RICO-style prosecution, which will be very, very interesting in itself. Um, <clears throat> we'll see. Uh, it's I would think it's likely that fourth indictment will come uh, in, in August. But the way Trump conducted himself... Um, in my view, is something that needs to be properly examined because you just can't have this stuff happening and and will happen um, because he set the tone for elections and we saw that in the midterms last year. We saw that in the midterms with a number of uh, people who lost, including the... uh, the Arizona gubernatorial candidate for the GOP spitting a dummy and refusing to accept the result and all this sort of stuff. So I think this needs to be properly examined. Just exactly who who was calling the shots? Um, look, they 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 basically were part. The big part of the indictment for me is is um, Trump and others conspiring to have um, uh, alternate members of the electoral college go and vote. 
you know, that, yeah. that, that's the one that stands out for me. I, I just say this, that absent the four indictments, I don't think Trump um, would be a credible candidate in 2024. With them, he absolutely is. Um, he's polling actually better now than he ever has right before 2016, right before 2020. He's, this, is, this is the best polling this for, at any stage that he's mm. ever had. Um, so I think the four indictments have dealt him right back into the gun. Very possible. Um, and, and what it's done, Jack, <laughs> well, perhaps not what it's done, but it has exposed Ron DeSantis. Um, and, uh, and we thought perhaps uh, uh, earlier this year that Ron's entrance into the presidential uh, campaign, into the primary run, for the presidency next year, presidential election next year, uh, would be uh, a, a breath of uh, well, uh, bring on a bring on a breath of relief from uh, from the GOP. He's really stalled, hasn't he? The polling's not looking all that flash for him. I, I do you know, see I, there's I, I bits and pieces where he's ahead of Biden and all that sort of stuff, but that's fantasy land stuff. Well, he's, I mean, he, he's got to get to Biden first in any event, and at the moment he's thirty points behind Trump, yeah. and that's largely driven off the back of the four indictments. Yeah. Um, um, uh, so, um, well, uh, he, he certainly DeSantis has made some errors. Um, uh, he didn't. He, he botched his launch, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, uh, but the, what's really driven his numbers down are the, are the indictments that Trump's facing. Yeah, yeah. Now, look, that, 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 it's very possible. But there is a chance for him, Jack, uh, to make a name for himself. Uh, uh, the California uh, governor, Gavin Newsom, has said, uh, come on out, let's have a debate. And DeSantis, <laughs> again, just looks really shaky. Um, uh, and I saw uh, one of uh, uh, Newsom's... Uh, um, uh, staffers just saying, oh, they want to impose this, uh, they want to have this rule and that rule, and they don't want, you know, they, they basically want to reduce DeSantis's exposure to the nation. So I'd suggest if that's the way through this debate, if that's the way you want to go about being a presidential candidate, then I don't think you've got much hope. Well, I, I, I read a very full report of the negotiations about the debate, and it just seemed to me like the usual do, the arguments that candidates have before a debate. But it was reducing DeSantis' time on stage and reducing his time uh, uh, being uh, being, uh, questioned. Oh, it's it's ninety minutes with no notes, so there's not much not much chance of of hiding in those circumstances. What what will tell us something is when the debate actually takes place. That's you know, the argy bargy about who gets to do what in a debate is just completely situation normal for politics. I reckon Newsom will eat him alive. That's what I. Well, think. he has got very good hair. He has got very good hair, but he's also really impressive on his feet, and he he can talk in that way where. Um, you would have to go away and do some research to see where he's got a few things wrong. He's not always uh, not always that uh, forthcoming, um, but um, yeah, I think he's uh, he's he's a pretty good performer. Um, look, there's a there's a <laughs> this is we've got a little thing here. Are, are we to blame for Donald Trump, Jack? Are, uh, are, are, are we all somehow to blame? Did you watch The Apprentice? Did you ever watch that? You, so I think you, anyone who watched The Apprentice is to blame. Did you? Uh, are you referring to the um, the wonderful piece by David Brooks in the New York Times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've cited it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he 
he, he, made, he made the mistake of sticking in a paragraph in the middle of it which says, we in the educated class are always public, publicly speaking out for the marginalised. Um, uh, and that's led to a whole um, uh, genre on Twitter at the moment uh, of people saying, I'm always going to use we in the educated class uh, somewhere in a column that I write. You know, uh, other journalists who are writing this It's stuff. one of those things you just don't do. But, yeah, um, yeah look, there's a lot of these. There, there have been quite a few of these op-eds that getting along to the, oh, our politics has failed and this is why Donald Trump came along. Um, he's a con artist, you know. <laughs> he was never going to do anything differently. That's why I blame those who those people who watched The Apprentice in number and saw this guy's actually this guy's actually really good at business. When yeah, he's actually um, not. Whenever anyone says um, uh, politics has failed, what they really mean is I'm not getting what I want out of politics. Exactly right. Yeah, very, very well said. All righty. Um, uh, Russia and the Ukraine, Jack. Um, just there's a, a report just in today of the BBC, at least five people have been killed in a Russian missile attack on uh, residential buildings in the eastern Ukrainian town of Pokrovsk. Uh, four civilians and an official were killed and 31 people injured. Very, very nasty stuff. Another report, Jack, uh, just a, in regard to drones. Last week, a Russian tanker with 11 crew members was hit by what Moscow said was a Ukrainian attack in the Black Sea. Although U Ukraine did not comment publicly, a security service source told the BBC a sea drone had been used. And these are like powerboats that are loaded to the gunnels with explosives and uh, they're just basically operated from um, remotely uh, with, a, with, a, with a keypad. And off they go and they take out ships um, and you'll find the Russian sort military of, will fire like crazy at them. Sort of like a kamikaze attack but with no pilot. Yeah, that's right. It's exactly like that. And they'll, they'll try and blow it out of the water, but if they don't succeed, look out, boom, you're going to get it. And, and it's no chance of missing. It was all GPS tracking and all that sort of stuff. Meanwhile, Jack, we just want to get a proper feel of the sort of oppression that goes on in, in, in Russia. Alexei Navalny, fresh from being uh, poisoned by the regime, uh, is facing an even longer stint in jail. I think he was originally sentenced to eight years and now it's looking like it'll be uh, go up to 19 years. Um, Navalny was accused of creating an extremist community, financing extremist activities and a number of other crimes. He was found guilty on Friday at the high security penal colony in which he has been detained. We can only wonder about how awful that place would be, Jack. So this is the business of just getting rid of your opposition, isn't it? It is. Um, and Navalny was already in jail, but he is one of the great, the great hopes for a Russia post-Putin, but um, uh, God only knows what sort of condition he is in at the moment. Uh, I'd expect that to be awful. Um, took the, the trial took place behind closed doors at the IK-6 penal colony at Melikovo, around 155 miles east of Moscow, where he is being held. Um, I'd suggest there's a, a fair bit of ugliness going on at that place at any given time, Jack. 
probably is. Um, it is slightly amusing to me that um, uh, on, on Twitter yesterday I noticed that some of the same people who are salivating over the prospect of Donald Trump being put in jail are very, are very upset about the Russian opposition uh, leader being put in jail. Well, I think it's quite different circumstances, Jack. I mean, yeah, but it's still amusing. It's not amusing. I, I, I don't find it. Well, he's been, him being put in jail is not amusing, him, but the, dif- the difference in approach is amusing. I don't find him well. He's um, in the position that he's in after being poisoned and, and near death for a few days and now being taken away, I would say almost certainly tortured and then jailed and then given further charges. Uh, it just tells you what a stinking, rancid regime Putin runs. Uh, speaking of uh, stinking rancid um, regimes, Jack, Niger under coup. Um, what's going to happen there? Is, is is this likely to lead to conflict in Western Africa? Well, there's already conflict in Western Africa. Um, uh, um, uh, the importance of Niger was that... Um, uh, well, multinational conflict, Jack. <laughs> yeah, Um a Western commentator was saying this, that Niger has been seen as the West's last reliable counter-terrorism partner in a region where coups, coups have been common in recent years. Houdas have, re- have re- rejected former colonizers of France and turning towards Russia. Um, uh, Wagner, the way Wagner group has sort of got a new name now, I think, doesn't it? Operates in a handful of African countries, including Mali, where human rights groups have accused its forces of deadly abuses. Plus, they have a problem with Islamic terrorism in the area. They do. Um, so uh, it's and, a very messy situation, um, uh, and Niger is going to, whether if they can solve the Niger problem, um, there's some prospect of making this move in the right direction. If they can't, they can't. Well, Acting Deputy Secretary of State Victoria Newland um, had visited Niger and had conversations with Niger's military leaders um, in, in what she later describes as extremely frank and at times quite difficult. Washington has said the coup can still be ended diplomatically and President Mohamed Bazoum reinstated but has uh, suspended aid payments in the meantime. Niger has basically been shut off. You've got uh, Western African nations um, surrounding it um, who are terribly concerned about the coup that have basically shut the country down. Yeah. It's a fair bit to play out there. A fair bit to play out there. The the, 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 the coup leaders are playing a very dangerous game. Yeah, a lot to play out, but it is very important what happens because it could determine what, what happens right across Western Africa. All right, turn of the hour, and uh, it is time to get stuck into sport because we've got a fair bit of uh, fair bit to get through. We, we do want to do this, some scorecards because there's been some wonderful things. Of course, the Ashes wrapped up um, last week. Now none of us know what to do at night times um, and uh, scrolling through Netflix and what have you to look for something that we can watch and enjoy. Um, I did see Stephen Fry's comments uh, on the game, Jack, and and cricket is a tomato. Um, uh, the fabulous actor Stephen Fry is currently president of the Marlborough Cricket Club. Yes, uh, he is. Uh, which he says um, it's it's a it's a really good job. He says it's a little bit like being a cross between a regimental mascot, you know, the the, the goat that they put a uniform on, yeah. um, uh, or, or, or and the Queen Mother. Um, they kind of wheel you out to look important at things, 
Um, uh, and, and the best advice he got from um, one of the few non-cricketing presidents of the MCC who preceded him was from, was from uh, Tim Rice, the, um, uh, the composer, who said, one thing will happen to you, Stephen, is you'll put on weight. Uh, uh, while you're doing this job. So I think the job involves a fair bit of lunching and dinnering. Um, but Stephen Fry was a really good – on a podcast, he was talking I think he's about – I think he's a great selection. Um, yeah. He's a beautiful speaker. And he, he was talking about how the cricket world works today. Um, uh, and he says the cricket is like the tomato. You look at um, the, the cuisine of Italy and various other places, and the tomato is central to it. But the tomato doesn't come from there. It comes from South America. Um, um, and, and, you know, the French don't own the potato. The potato comes from Peru. And in the same way, um, but the Peruvians and the South Americans generally, they don't get to own what happens to the tomato now. And he says, that's what cricket is like. We might have started it here in England, but the centre of activity for it now, the centre of the gravity for cricket now is the subcontinent. Well, he's India, India, yeah. the BCCI, and 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 they are a very powerful um, group determining the future of the game by fixtures, by competitions, etc. And there's no getting around that. that I yeah. mean, that's where the money is in in, in cricket. I saw a Joe Rogan um, uh, podcast where, um, to his, to Joe's great surprise, he was told who, who, who's got the second largest audience in sport, and of course it's cricket. You know, mm. and obviously soccer or football is is number one, uh, and number two is and he, he he couldn't quite believe it. And then, um, you know, he was told the Instagram numbers for uh, for Virat Kohli, and and, mm. and and again, it's just one of those things that Americans don't often see. But baseball is very much a second string. Um, uh, a sport uh, in most parts of the world uh, compared with cricket, and particularly in Asia. Um, it won't always come with good uh, good outcomes. I mean, um, test cricket is, is something that uh, I think the players deeply enjoy playing, um, but more and more, I mean, look, England's own fixture um, uh, created an Ashes series of five tests over two months so they could make way for... The hundred, their big bash equivalent, um, and um, and the theory behind that is not it's all about cash and money, but the way you the way you engage young people in into cricket is 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 the, the best way to do that is through the short form of the game. And I don't know if you did, Jack, but um, we've we've talked about this before. But when we looked at those test audience test audiences. Um, at the Oval, at Lords, at uh, Old Trafford, etc., you didn't see a lot of young faces there. Oh, that's and partly be- partly because of the ticket prices. Yeah, well, the ticket. I mean, even even the fifth day's play, where ticket prices are reduced, and so you still didn't see many kids there. Um, and, and so, I, it is an acquired taste. But Test cricket is not necessarily a five-day test. Is not necessarily going to whet the appetite of a, a seven or eight-year-old kid. Mm. And so we're going to have to deal with that shortened form of the game um, uh, really imposing itself. I see um, uh, there were big competitions in the United States, um, largely with uh, Adam Zampa was having a game there. Uh, Lots of T20 being played. Being played, I think in Texas, but I'm, don't don't quote me on that. I just saw. Yeah, the, there's a lot of a lot of rich 
Indian uh, tech billionaires, big crowds, yeah, big crowds. Uh, uh, who who are who are funding T um, Twenty uh, cricket in Texas in particular. Yeah, yeah, and look, big crowds, um, and and it's probably engaging the West Indies um, population to cricket again. That was sort of really slipping off the radar. There, it's we'd always thought it was basketball that would sort of really challenge cricket, but it's 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 football again that that. Uh, that uh, is really cutting into their markets. There, um, T Twenty is is a game um, where uh, where you can engage young people and some older folk along the way who might have lost a bit of interest in cricket. Um, one thing, Joe Jack, just in regard to the Ashes, did the English have a drink with the Australians afterwards or not? Well, the Australians waited round until about ten thirty, I think. Um, uh, to, to be invited into the England... In, in Having England. a libation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Steve Smith went over and knocked on the door about four times and couldn't get in. Um, uh, uh, Richard Hines, the wonderful sports journalist, journalist from Australia, retired, I think. Um, uh, what did... Uh, he posted something really good on Twitter. Oh, it was just a simple photo of Richie Benno and Frank Worrell after having a beer together after the tide test. Um with a comment from Richard on the lines of, even those of us who play um, club cricket, for those of us who play club, club cricket, this is one of the most precious memories you take away from the game, is that getting together with your opponents after the game. Um, and it didn't really happen post the Test Series. Um, I believe they met up in a nightclub later, but that's not quite the same thing. Oh. Um, um, well, you might recall, Jack, at the previous uh, Australian tour of England, Ashes Ashes series there four years ago, there was a photo published and it ran in the Australian and it ran throughout the media of all of the both squads in one of I presume England's changing room. It doesn't really matter, and all sitting around having a beer and a chat. And it and it's yeah. kind of what sports should be about. It's not always it going to be about that, but um, but it, you know once. Once the last shots are fired in anger, um, and uh, and the game's well and done, that's kind of the beauty of cricket, isn't it? Yeah, um, I saw saw a great interview with um, um, Michael Atherton and uh, Alan Donald uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, and they were talking about a, a, a great spell Alan Donald bowled to Mark Atherton, uh, and at one stage, um, Mark Atherton got a pretty clear glove on something, and it was caught, um, and of course um, he didn't walk. Um, uh, um, and uh, Alan Donald went completely nuts at him for not walking, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they walked in after the game, and Mike Atherton had got the um, uh, the Jeroboam of champagne for the man of the match, um, uh, and he took that in there um, to get Alan Donald to sign it for him. Um, and he took in his glove with the great red mark on it um, uh, from where the ball had hit it, and he signed that and gave it to Alan Donald. Everyone had a beer and was happy. Yeah, look, Michael Atherton is a really is a, is a great force for good in cricket, isn't he? He's a wonderful commentator, brilliant writer, and of course he takes you know McGrath Bunny, McGrath's Bunny, and all that sort of stuff. He takes that all in his stead. Never overrates his uh, his performances. Were very significant for England for a very very long time. Saved a lot of tests off his own bat. Um, what? We'll talk a little bit more about. We're going to get through to the AFL, and of course, we can't leave uh, uh, the, the the World Cup 
alone. We'll get to that in a little while. But there's a little story here the ABC's reported on King Island's footy league, and it is basically on its knees. And I think there were three clubs there, weren't there? Yeah, there um, are three clubs, yeah. There are three, there are three clubs there, and they play each other. <laughs> I mean, there's obviously a buy every week. Mm. Um, but King Island uh, down, uh, down in the uh, south of... Um, uh, down, down south of Bastrape, yeah, Bastrape, Victoria. They've had that comp going for a long time now, and and it looks like it's finally, you know, it's on its last legs. And I think that's great. That, that's it's usually sad because we forget just the contributions that sports clubs make to people's lives, um, and they are almost always a force for good too. Yeah, well, I, I grew up in country towns, and they're incredibly important uh, in country towns. Your football club, your tennis club, your cricket clubs, you know, um, uh, they're the kind of glue that holds the place together. Yeah, very much. I mean, I, I saw two. I mean, I, I, I was a member of long standing at Montmorency. I was a secretary of the club, an opening batsman of the ones and for, for a while anyway, and... Um, and I always keep an eye on things to see how things are going down there. I was in conversation with their president, not, not the president now, but a couple of years ago, and, and and they were holding because there had been one of the one of the Montmorency footballers sadly had, had uh, passed away due to suicide, uh, and uh, and so the club started the footy and the cricket clubs um, uh, both started uh, bringing people in. Um, uh, to to hold discussions with 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 play, with with the players, uh, with those associated with the club, get around people who you think might be struggling, you know those sorts of things. They are really strong drivers of community, uh, and I can tell you too if you you know if you're in the business of wanting new facilities, new new nets, new. Uh, a uh, bit of money, uh, you know. Politicians understand the nature of it too. Um, we would often go to our local councillors and our state members, and the federal member, and uh, say, "Well, we'd like." And, and if you got a good hearing, you you get the, those new nets. You might get the new club rooms, um, because politicians understand the, the the nature of how compelling these places are. Yeah, uh, and, and people. Even the contributors, even the volunteers that these places run on. Well, they're all volunteers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they get a fair bit back out of it in the sense of, um, uh, of just a, a, a real part of your life. It becomes, you know, that, that, that's your weekends set up for winter and summer, you know. Um, the last place I actually played footy at, um, uh, I got uh, taken for a beer by the president who says, look, we're going to give you the best clubman award. And, um, and we want you to be vice president and come on the committee next year, which I think it was a polite way of saying you're a terrible player at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Often was the way things would go. You get a committee yeah. position because yeah, you were yeah. going all that well. Um, yeah. yeah, look. But, uh, but I got a hell, of a, lap, a hell of a lot back out of that, you know, uh, of, of the time that I, that I put in doing that, you know. Um, uh, oh, a yeah, great absolutely. deal of joy and fun. Um, uh, and wonderful oh, friendships contacts. made for life, all that yep. sort of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, um, I uh, still keep a very close eye on Montmorency uh, Career Club, where I was involved for uh, more than twenty years, and um, and uh, you know it was 
it was something like I was president of the, I was president of an amateur football club too for a couple of years, uh, and much like you, not much of a football, but slow. Bit slow. No, yeah, no. Well, I, no I, I, I always say that a, a couple of bad broken ankles and a lack of talent held me back. Well, look, I, I used to have very good evasive skills, no pace. But uh, then I did the knee and uh, the sideways stuff just gone. And I remember coming back and getting tackled very roughly, very quickly, and thought, yeah, maybe I should be president of the club. Maybe I'll be yeah. contributing more that way. So, um, uh, yeah, look, it's a shame. With, look, these things, and we're seeing it a bit more in country Victoria. I don't know if you've seen it, Jack, but they're, they're getting old AFL players out of retirement. And Gary Ablett Jr., uh, Nathan Buckley before he did his hammy, and they're coming and they're playing as sort of um, as guest guests of the club. Yeah, I think Daisy, that's a great da- initiative. Da- Daisy Thomas, very funny man. He does it all the time. He does it at least one a year. Um, uh, uh, and it's a great idea, I think. Yes, yeah, terrific idea. Well, back into and we'll get to we'll get to the soccer, but very very important things. Jack Carlton with seven in a row, uh, beating the Saints, who are very very good. I actually impressed by them. They were very hard at the footy. Uh, St Kilda. Are, are they at the Sarah Sands yet? Uh, not quite yet. Uh, it's, a, it's a very different Carlton football club now. Um, I, I I think they're the they're the they're the story. They've got Melbourne this week now. We're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves, Jack. But I think if they beat Melbourne, they're just about going to you know, premiership favouritism because they're beating everybody else with the exception of Brisbane Lions and, I don't know, they're beating Port Adelaide. Um, and, and there's not much else there they, have, they haven't beaten and they will be a force to be reckoned with uh, uh, come the finals. Should they make it, there's still a win away from doing that. For those of us, those those listeners who are not um, in a Melbourne um, uh, uh, residence, the Sarah Sands is a dreadful pub. Uh, it's gone at the, start, at the at the start of Brunswick, and the and uh, the locals used to say, well, "If you're at the Sarah Sands, you're almost back in town." <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, sadly, the Sarah Sands is gone. Um, oh, yeah, it's, my it's no, it's no loss. It was a dreadful burst. My 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 good mate Ray Mooney, uh, who uh, chronicles a lot of true crime, and uh, he 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 was mourning the the loss of the Sarah Sands. I think the last time I saw it, they had you know lunchtime strippers and things like that, which yeah. is kind of that's the last thing you do before you hit the deck <laughs> uh, as, as a publican. Um, no, no, Carlton is the Carlton is one of the the big stories now. So. Um, We'll see how they go. My beloved Blues played beautifully on the weekend, and um, and and they've got a much deeper list now. Um, they're not relying on half a dozen every week. They've got blokes that getting around, and a few ex Swannies are going very very well. Swannies did all right too uh, on the weekend, and not out of it. In fact, you've got a very very tight run for the uh, for the final eight. Who's your yeah. tip to make up the? The, the bottom well, four. Um, uh, I think all the way from five until 14, fifth till 14th on the ladder. Yeah, I think um, you're probably is, going to be too far there, but yeah, <laughs> fair enough. No, 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 yeah. it's mathematically possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all the way um, uh, down there. So um, I don't think there'll be much change for all of that. For all of there, for all of there are a lot of other clubs who've got a chance that they might yeah. sneak in. Yeah, no, Swanee's aren't, Swanee's certainly aren't out of it. Richmond had a. Richmond had a bit of a shocker. Um, they've fallen back into the pack, but there's still half a chance. Yeah, so very, very tight 
finish to the AFL season. The NRL was a bit the same too. But, of course, we cannot go past the efforts of the Matildas who had a two-zip defeat of Denmark. It was one of those sporting events, Jack, where I just got the sense that everyone in the country was watching it. I haven't seen the ratings figures. Um, They were near enough to two million in the first game. Uh, And uh, I suspect they were a bit... bit, uh, a bit bigger last night again. Um, uh, Australia looked very nervous early on. Did you watch the game? Uh, I did. Um, uh, and even in Hong Kong, there were um, uh, 50 or 60 or 70 people on a Monday night um, uh, uh, at, at a pub in Soho, um, all cheering madly. Um, and, and, of course, the English fans had been there as well. So, uh, um, And... and- Look, it, it, they were knocking the ball around and they were coughing it up a little bit and Denmark basically controlled possession. And then on the counter, there, it was actually a beautiful goal, wasn't it? The first goal. Hmm. Uh, I think Mary Fowler put the ball through to an ex, just an excellent pass. And and uh, then, uh, uh, oh, I'm just trying to think of her first name, but forward. Uh, <coughs> Caitlin, Caitlin Ford. Caitlin Ford, yeah, um, and took the ball, little tap on, and then bang, straight in the corner. Um, uh, a little bit more chaotic in the second half, but Hayley Razzo once delivered a pass. She put the ball into the corner of the net as well. They're a very good side, and uh, and and getting a ticket to uh, to see them play is well, it's the hottest hottest ticket in town, Jack. Uh, it's just terrific to see. Uh, women's sport, not just in the in the football, but in uh, other, you know, in cricket and AFL, uh, AFLW, um, uh, finally getting the um, the numbers through the gate and the eyeballs on the television, and that's the key um, to getting proper rewards. Well, yeah, I think there's something a little bit more than that too, Jack. In certain parts of the world, anyway, I don't know if you've seen Morocco. Uh, Morocco got spanked six zip by Germany in their first round game, in their first game, and then had a couple of wins. They beat South Korea, uh, and uh, um, results went their way, and they're, they're through to the quarterfinals. And in Morocco, we just got a little comment here from from a fellow watching it. He said, "Before the girls started playing, people said, go back to your kitchen.'" And this is from Miriam uh, Ultafami Ulfatni. I should say, a 27-year-old from Kanifra, Morocco. Uh, and he said, but then after they win, they say, oh, those are the lionesses of the Atlas. Mm. He said the whole vibe changed after their success. Isn't that lovely? Yep. Uh, all right. Take us out, Jack. Ah, look, um, uh, this is an election story. Um, uh, I saw this on Twitter. Uh, if you ever feel useless... Imagine being the guy who had to count the 17,540,544 ballots in the 2019 North Korean election and every single one of them said Kim Jong-un. Um, well, I uh, think and, I, it, and, you, and, you would think that would be a useless task. But let yeah, me tell and, you, and, he's looking for the one that says something else. And the, uh, and, and the response came immediately. Projected winner. Projected winner. Yeah, but he's but he'd be looking for something that didn't spell Kim Jong Un Kim Jong Un's name properly or anything, and then they'd be they'd be off to the uh, off to the camps, Jack. <laughs>
They'd be, they'd be eating very poor quality bark indeed. I was, I was strapped to a tree and hit with artillery. So what a terrible bastard he is. And his family for that matter. Thank you very much for your time today, Jack, uh, and your opinions, particularly in regard to the uh, higgins Lemon matter. I think we can call it that. We've got about six names for it at the moment. But uh, it's, uh, it's all come to a head and it is very, very messy. Thank you for your opinions and your analysis today. And thank you, listeners, uh, for listening to us once again this week. And we just want to remind you that uh, if you want to get involved in the program, please drop us a line. You can hit me up on Twitter. I'm less active on it these days, but uh, uh, but you can always uh, find me through my DMs. Always open there. Uh, and, Jack, uh, you can hit up, hit up Hong Kong Jack on his Substack. Give me the address there, please, Jack. Hongkongjack.substack.com. And you'll find a confession up there at the moment. Mm. Um, I actually confessed that I um, had got an election prediction quite wrong. Which one? Uh, the United States presidential election. So you can read what I thought I got wrong. What, what 2020 you got wrong? No, 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 2024. Oh, well, we haven't had it yet, Jack. You don't need to self-flagellate yet. I know, I know yeah, how you're yeah, Catholics yeah, no, are very, no, very no, big no, on no. these things. I've, Tighten I've, up I've got the something awfully on the leg. And- I've got something awfully wrong and, um, and I'm prepared to put my hand up and say it. Yeah. All right, fair enough. That's There's some honesty for you, so you can give, get on Jack's substack and give him a good flogging for it. Yeah, do uh, that. And, uh, and thank you, listeners, once again. We'll be back with you next week with the two Jacks. See ya. Cheers.